Good morning. I want to hear James sing that song, the, the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I knew he'd do it. Well, I am tired this morning, and that's actually a strength because I'm not nervous because I'm too tired to be nervous. So maybe I should start staying up really late on uh, Saturdays. I don't know. Probably not. But Heather and I are really thankful for all the people that showed up yesterday, and I'm sure there were plenty of others that wanted to help out but couldn't or whatever, but uh, we... It was a delight to, to pull up here and see. I don't know how many people were here yesterday, but it was a bunch, like over 20, maybe maybe pushing 30. I don't know. But uh, I had help back home from our church there, and, uh, and then I came here, and you all were here, so thank you all for that. We appreciate it very much. I, was gonna make, I, was, I wasn't going to make her do anything. I, I, I asked Heather if she wanted to come up here and express her gratitude. That made her really nervous, so I'm not going to put her on the spot like that. Soon enough, though, I will. All right, we are going to learn about faithfulness today. I'm getting a little feedback, Josh. I don't know if everybody can hear that or not. but um, Faithfulness today. So I'm going to read the Galatians passage for the seventh time, I believe. Probably, probably been more than that now. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. I'm just kidding. But the, fr- <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There are so many examples of bold faith in Scripture, and as I began to prepare this message this week, my mind went to the book of Job, because Job was, in God's opinion, according to Scripture, a blameless man full of integrity, and uh, he was an upright man. God, He was very accepted by God as a wonderful man. And... Um, I decided I didn't want to spend too much time in Job for whatever reason. God led me somewhere else. But I, I, want to, I want to summarize the book of Job in about one minute if I can. It's like 40 chapters, I think. So uh, here's, a, here's a flyby. So Job was a blameless man full of complete integrity. In chapter 1, Satan and the Lord have a dialogue, and Satan tells the Lord that he has been patrolling the earth, watching everything that is going on. And the Lord asked Satan if he had noticed his servant Job. The Lord then said that Job was the finest man in all the earth. He is, a blame, he is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. My goodness, what if the Lord said that about us? That this man, the, the finest man in all the earth, he is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from all evil. We need to, we need to pray that for ourselves, that we could be considered blameless by the Lord. So Satan then says to the Lord, well, of course Job is good. You've allowed him to prosper. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, all right, you may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. And so the next 39 chapters, Job is on a sine wave of faith. He, in the beginning, he expresses his gratitude for the things that he has, even though uh, his circumstances are changing, and as the book goes on, 
things get worse for Job and he starts to lose his wealth and he starts to lose his health and he starts to lose his family. And uh, he remains faithful throughout the, the book, but he, his faith does waver quite heavily. And his wife goes on to tell him to curse God and die. And fortunately, he didn't listen to that. So uh, husbands, don't always listen to your wife, okay? But most of the time, you probably should. Uh, so, and, and then in the in chapters thirty seven, thirty eight, God God said, you know, when when Job's faith is really uh, wavering, God speaks to Job and says, "Can you, you know, can you harness the wind? Do you are you the one that commands the ocean waves? Can you uh, do you tell the, all the creatures what to do on a daily basis?" And of course, Job's answer is no. And he the the conclusion is, "You are God, and I am not." And thank you for thank you for Thank you for that. So that's our flyby survey of Job. Job was faithful, even though his circumstances were not the greatest uh, eventually. And we were studying Job. This was a couple of years ago. We were just in a small group study at church and not here back home, obviously. Um, and somebody said, how long do you think that period of time was that Job suffered? Somebody asked that question. And I thought, well, he lost his entire original family. I can't remember if his wife, did his wife die or not? I can't remember. He had the same wife, but he lost everybody else, I believe. And I thought, well, he suffered his entire life on earth. He lost his original family. They were eventually, they were replaced in the end of the book, but he, he lost his, his family. So as I searched further and meditated on faithfulness, the Lord somehow led me to Hebrews chapter 11. And I, uh, verse 7 always stood out to me. It's, it's about Noah, but that, that verse entered my mind, and I thought, well, let's jump over to Hebrews and see. Let's see what it says about faith and faithfulness. And the whole chapter, I was telling John and the gang this morning at uh, Sunday school that as I read Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read the whole chapter, so turn to, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. But as I read Hebrews chapter 11, I thought, my goodness, this sermon has already been written. This, the Word of God is so sufficient. And, and it, I think I was on a coffee high also while I was, while I was reading this. But, um, but I, I mean, the, it wasn't just the coffee. The, the Lord was working on me. And this, this, whole, uh, this whole chapter was just profound to me. And, uh, and I thought, when, after I read it, I thought, my goodness, what can I even say to follow? Why even add my words to this? Because uh, it's, it's so profound. And just like I surveyed the book of Job, much of this um, chapter is a survey of faithfulness throughout Scripture. So it's a, it's a good little flyby chapter. So Hebrews chapter 11. This is going to take a second. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convic conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death 
and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him. I think I skipped a page. I'm sorry. I read something wrong. Even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having knowledge, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said, Though Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's, king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, 
became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Just kidding. That was a lot, but as I read that, I thought, I can't really add anything to that. It's such a great survey of the faithfulness of these biblical people. I need a drink of water. But I do have more. And it is as violent as the last couple of chapters that are, or the last couple of verses I just read. And I actually, the rest of this message is a violent one. So um, it's a, there, I have three examples of martyrdom that I want to talk about. And I really didn't even notice as I was preparing this, the violence at the end of, of this chapter. So um, it's, a, it's a cool connection. But all these people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 live for something greater than themselves. These people of faith look for greater future hope. They understood that their home was not on earth. Their home was with the Lord for eternity. These people were not perfect, and despite their imperfections and their sin, they demonstrated faith in the one true God at key moments in their lives. So what does this mean for, for us and our faithfulness? What happens to our faith when our circumstances change? I was going to have Josh turn off all the lights, and I was going to turn off the microphone just to make you all uncomfortable and say, what do we do when our circumstances change? If, if all of a sudden the power grid goes out and we don't have these lights and this microphone, do people, front, people in the back next Sunday, do we come forward? Or do we get frustrated and go home? Or um, so just what happens when our, the, these comforts that we don't even think about, what happens when they go away? What happens to our faith? Uh, what, happen, what, 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 if, what if the building burns down? What do we do then? Do we, do we, do we start going to Petersburg Baptist? Or do, do, we, do we meet in the parking lot? Okay. I'm sure we could all suffer in the parking lot for a week or two, but what about six months from now? What do we do then? We get frustrated and go home? What happens to our faith when someone we trust betrays us? Do we get angry at God and take our bitterness out on everybody else? What happens to our faith when we get a serious medical diagnosis? Do we lose hope that God is in control? What happens to our faith when we feel alone? Do we turn our back on God or do we understand that He is with us and is for us and that He loves us? And this, this is going to lead us into the, the, the violent portion of our segment today. What about when someone challenges our beliefs? Do we hide what we believe from the challenger so that life remains easy without confrontation or do we stand firm in the faith? There are tremendous examples of faithful believers that happened after the Bible was written. Extreme levels of faith didn't just happen during the time the Bible was written. So we're going to hop in a time machine and we're going to go back to the 1500s. So let me set the stage for you. We're in England. Queen Mary is the Queen of England and Ireland. 
and the Protestant Reformation is in full force. And Queen Mary's a Catholic. I think her father, I didn't, I didn't research this history too much, but I think her father was Henry VIII and he was a womanizer. He had like six wives or something. And the Catholic Church, he was trying to get an annulment or something, I can't remember. I did, again, I didn't read too much about it, but he wanted the government to not be as involved with the Catholic Church. And um, so he was trying to create separation. Well, then he died and his son became king for a brief period of time. And then Queen Mary became queen and, and tried to reinstitute, reinstitute Catholicism and government as one. And of course, it's, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that the Protestants and the Catholics didn't get along. And um, John Rogers was the first English Protestant that was burned at the stake in Queen Mary's reign on the 4th of February in 1555. And he wasn't just a common, he wasn't a criminal. He was, a, he was an educated man. He, was, he studied at Cambridge and he actually became a, pre, a Catholic priest. And during his time as a priest, he met William Tyndale and they were working together to translate the Bible. Uh, I think Tyndale was working heavily on the Old Testament. And at this time, uh, through, through his deep study of the Bible, Rogers denounced his Catholic faith and joined the Reformation. So Tyndale was imprisoned uh, shortly after John Rogers and, and Tyndale met. Tyndale was imprisoned and executed for his translation work. And after Tyndale's execution, Rogers continued the work that Tyndale was doing. And I bet if you all look through your Bibles, you, some of you might be able to find Tyndale in the first couple pages of your Bible as, as maybe a reference or a or a citation or something. But um, so they were compiling these translations, and during this time, like I said, Queen Mary, who they, they after all of this history, renamed her Bloody Mary because I think it, the number is 288 Christians were burned at the stake. And the reason that the, the argument between these two, uh, this massive amount of death happened because of differences in uh, communion doctrine. Catholics believe one thing about communion, Protestants believed another, and these 288 people were willing to burn to death over this, over, over the difference. Um, so, let me see here. John Rogers was ordered to stay inside his home because of this. He was eventually tried and imprisoned and condemned to death for being considered a heretic. And John Rogers was a married man. He had 11 children. So he was willing to die for what he believed to be true uh, and, and sacrifice his whole, I mean, his life, obviously. But he had to look 11 children and a wife in the face as he was doing this. So an excerpt from John Fox. John Fox wrote a book about, I don't know if he covered all of these martyrs during this time, but his note about Rogers was, when the time came that Rogers should be brought out of Newgate, the place of his imprisonment, to Smithfield, the place of his execution, Mr. Woodruff, one of the sheriffs, first came to Mr. Rogers and asked him if he would revoke his abominable doctrine and the evil opinion of the sacrament of the altar. Mr. Rogers answered, that which I have preached, I will seal with my blood. Then Mr. Woodruff said, you are a heretic. That shall be known on the day, at the day of judgment, said John Rogers. Well, said Mr. Woodruff, I will never pray for you, but I will pray for you, said Mr. Rogers. 
And so he was brought the same day, the 4th of February, by the sheriffs towards Smithfield, praying Psalm 51 on his way, all the people wonderfully rejoicing at his constancy, with great praises and thanks to God for the same. And there in the presence of Mr. Rochester, controller of the Queen's household, Sir Richard Southwell, both sheriffs and a great number of people, he was burnt to ashes, washing his hands in the flame as he was burning. A little before his burning, his pardon was brought. If he would have recanted, his pardon was brought if he had recanted, but he utterly refused it. He was the first martyr of all the blessed company that suffered in Queen Mary's time that gave the first adventure upon the fire. His wife and children being 11 in number, 10 able to go, and one sucking at her breast, met him, met him by the way as he went towards Smithfield. The sorrowful sight of his own flesh and blood could nothing move him but that he constantly and cheerfully took his death with wonderful patience in the defense of the gospel of Christ. That is one of the most intense things that I have heard or read about in such a long time, just thinking about 288 or so people that were willing to stand firm for what they believed and not back down for what they believed. And I, and I just... I think, my goodness, I just pray that we would have that same level of faith in daily conversations where we don't risk, we're not risking being burned by anybody in this country yet. Maybe, maybe that happens, I don't know. But um, So I, again, I'll ask the question, where is your faith when your circumstances change? Where is your faith when your comfort is gone? No one is making us stay indoors because of our belief, yet there are times we there are times when we remain silent. And John Rogers and the and the 280 some other people didn't remain silent either. So, y'all ready to hop back in the time machine and move forward a few years and hear some more uplifting stories? <laughs> We're gonna fast forward to 1952. A faithful believer, and some of y'all might be old enough to remember Jim Elliott while he was alive, but a faithful believer named Jim Elliott is packing his bags to travel to Ecuador to be a missionary. Jim came to faith in Jesus at uh, six years old. And I want to pause right there. It, it, gave me, it gave me great hope to read that he came to faith when he was six years old because like Sims was baptized when he was seven. And I thought, is this right? Is this the right time? anybody that have had young children be baptized probably have the same question like, wow, maybe we should wait. Maybe this, maybe that, maybe, 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 maybe. And maybe some of you adults have the same question like, well, am I ready? Am I ready? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Then you're ready. Okay. So it gave me great hope to know that Jim Elliott was baptized at six years old and he eventually died for his faith, um, which we'll hear more about in a moment. Jim took his faith very seriously. He was encouraged to be a youth pastor by his local church, and he said, nope, I'm going to be a missionary. So Jim's goal was to share the gospel with an indigenous tribe called the, I'll probably say this wrong, Aka. And Aka translates to savage. So we know where the story is going. So Jim and his four missionary companions were killed by the Akas in Ecuador. They made contact with them, I think, and they even took one of them on an airplane ride, and I'm sure that guy was thrilled to death. But uh, they, they felt good about their work until they were all killed by the spear. And uh, Jim was married also to a woman named Elizabeth, and they had a daughter that was 10 months old when Jim died. 
And the profound part of this story is that Elizabeth didn't cower. What Elizabeth did was she um, carried on Jim's work. She went and took their, the, the daughter was three years old when Elizabeth took her back to Ecuador and served the exact tribe that were killed by Jim. And that is intense. And Elizabeth died just a few years ago in 2015. And three years, all right, back in the time machine to hear one more really uplifting story. This one happened in 2018. And I'm certain some of you remember this, hearing about this one. And before I share this story, when I first, when I, 2018, I was saved in uh, maybe 16, 2016 or 17, I can't recall. But uh, when I heard this story, I, I thought, that guy is an idiot. Why would he do this? And I was in a group, a, a small group at church at that time also, and we talked about this, and, and the leader of the group, uh, he said, what do you all think about this? And he read us the story. or we, The story was in the news, so we knew about the story. And he said, what do you all think about this? And I was like, that guy's an idiot. Why would he ever do that? What a stupid thing to do. Um, but this guy's name was John Chow, and he was 26 at the time of his death. And the Lord called John to share the gospel with the people of North Sentinel Island, which is a tiny little island. 700 miles off the coast of India. And it's known that people live there somewhere between 50 and 200 tribes people live there. And I think it's illegal to even attempt to, to get to the island because of what happened to John. Um, so to my knowledge and to, the, to John's knowledge and to the knowledge of the missions agency that John was working with, there had never been an attempt to reach the Sentinelese people John would be the first. What I didn't know when I first heard this story was that John prepared for nine years for this trip. He, of course, nobody knows the Sentinelese language, so he did what he could, like they estimated, what can I do to even try to attempt to learn the language? So if we're gonna share the gospel with people, it has to come by our mouth, so you have to be able to communicate. Uh, so they did what they could on that front, he learned emergency medicine to be able to help the tribe with any medical needs that they would have. He had gospel partners, and he dedicated his life to the call that God put on his heart. On the first day, nine years into his uh, studies and training, on the first day he approached the island, he was run off by tribesmen who shot arrows at him. He paddled his little kayak back to the fishing boat that illegally took him to the island, and he got in the fishing boat and wrote in his journal, Oh my goodness, I'm scared to death, but I'm going to go back tomorrow. And uh, <clears throat> the next day he went back to the island and he was pierced with an arrow on his second attempt and nobody could recover his body because you can't legally go to the island. So he trained for nine years, share the gospel with these people uh, to die on day two without ever speaking a word to the Sentinelese people. So John knew the risk, but he was, in faith, he was faithful to embrace the call and he was ridiculed by modern media. And now I know I said I'm not going to play a video every Sunday, but this is not one of those Sundays. We do have a video. So, uh, and it's about John Chow, and it's, and it's really good.
take my place if I do. These are actual writings of his journal entry. Jesus told his followers to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation, to every nation, to the ends of the earth. John Chow was a teenager when he took his first missions trip and when he felt called to invest his life to reach the people of North Sentinel Island, who had violently rejected all previous contact with outsiders. John answered that call. Here am I. Send me. For the next nine years, every decision John made was with an eye toward going ashore on North Sentinel Island. He served in multiple countries to gain missions and ministry experience. He trained in linguistics to help learn their language. He was certified as an EMT in the hope of serving the tribesmen medically. Once I said yes to Jesus, I was committed. I was all in. I believe that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience. I want my life to reflect obedience to Christ and to live in obedience to Him. I think that Jesus is worth it. He's worth everything. In 2018, with the backing of his missions agency, John went to North Sentinel Island. He knew the risks, but his passion for the North Sentinelese and his desire to be obedient to Christ drove him forward. Sitting in the boat, getting ready to go ashore, John penned a final note and a challenge to his family. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9-10 states. I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Within hours of writing those words, John Chow was killed by the Islanders. John believed that the measure of success in the kingdom of God is obedience, and he would be obedient to God's call, no matter the cost. Who will pay the price to go to every tribe? As I, as I watched that video and was reading about uh, John, it said, and this I believe this would be true, if he had not gotten killed, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't know his name. If he succeeded, he would, it would have been an unknown thing, which is, which is an obscure thing to think about. I stand here today celebrating the faithfulness of people like John Chow. Remember when I first heard about this guy in 2018, my faith was different than it is now. I was immature probably, and I thought, like I was stupid. And now I, I, today I think that guy was faithful and uh, 
to hear that story, though scary and violent and alarming, I get excited to hear that there's a person who just a few years ago was alive on this earth and was willing to work for nine years to do everything he could to take the gospel to people that he knew absolutely had never heard it. So that's exciting. I stand here today holding a copy of this Bible because of the faithfulness of people like John Rogers and William Tyndale. And I stand here encouraged by the faith of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, who would return to the jungle with her three-year-old daughter to serve the people that killed her husband. And these are dramatic stories of faithfulness, but these are real stories, and I did not make these stories up. So as we analyze faithfulness to God, we need to realize that God calls us all to different areas of faithful obedience. Obviously, not all of us are going to get speared to death because of our boldness of faith. God desires our faithful obedience, and we serve an awesome and mighty God. Amen? I'm grateful for the bold obedience of the people that I've discussed today. I'm grateful for the bold obedience of the people that were written about in Hebrews chapter 11. I am grateful to the faithful obedience of the Christians who started this church in 1803. I'm grateful for the faithful Christians that serve this church today. And an important thing to remember about faithfulness is that there aren't, I would have to fact check myself on this, but as I, as I let the Holy Spirit develop this sentence, I believe it to be true, or these series of sentences, there are not different levels of faithfulness. You're either faithful or you aren't. There are different levels of sacrifice. So these people died because of their faithfulness. We're all not going to die because of our faithfulness. God calls some of us to preach. God calls some of us to make the holy of holy potato salads. God calls some of us to take out the trash. God calls some of us to nurse. God calls some of us, you get the point. We're all called to different areas. God calls some of us to die by the spear trying to reach the nations. So we just need to be faithful to whatever God calls us to do. And I want to close. You are thinking, thank goodness we're going to close. This is depressing. I want to close by reading a portion of Psalm 51, which is the psalm that John Rogers was praying as he was marching to be killed. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you reach me, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, I am grateful for the lesson that you taught me this week, and I hope it meant somebody, it went, meant something to somebody in this room.
uh, I had extreme levels of joy reading about the faithfulness of the people that I discussed today, knowing that knowing that they were faithful when you called them to do something that ended up killing them, and they did it anyways, and they did it uh, as I read some of the, the martyrdom notes from the people in England back in the 1500s that uh, the crowds were cheering as the people were burning, and that's a that's a crazy thought to have, or it's a crazy thing to read, but there's some of us that sit in this room right now that understand it fully, what that means, and, and um, that these people understood that their home is not on earth, their home is with you, and that is the most amazing thought. Once you understand it, and you believe it, and you have faith, and uh, you just have the freedom to do whatever you ask us to do because of our faith, and... Um, I'm just grateful that that you planted me here at this church. I'm grateful, like I said before, that people started this church so many years ago and, and it's continued on. And I pray that anybody in this room that that has been contemplating uh, baptism or whatever their next step of faithful faithful obedience is, I hope that as we as we read today about um, people that suffered death because of their faith, that it encourages people to take the next step of obedience in their life, whether it be to come forward or to be baptized or to confess sin or to whatever you've asked them to do. I just pray that they're able to do it faithfully today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen.